0: Well, good morning. I, uh, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. I'm really excited when I invite people to church and I have people that come to church. My good friend Ken in the back over there. Welcome, Ken. Everybody welcome Ken over there if you haven't said hello to him. We're not here to embarrass anybody, but we will. Um, and my son's here this morning. That's also a blessing for me. So I was glad to see my son this morning in the house of the Lord. If you teach your children when they're young and they go astray or they don't, they always know where to end back up because they'll have the Lord in their heart and the Lord directing their path. And so I'm encouraged to see my son this morning here because I know he has a busy work life and a busy life with school and everything that he has going on. So, last week we talked about the overcoming life. Wasn't that exciting? I thought it was it was it was like it was like a fire service. It's like, man, just that image, that image that we put of God that we talk about in Revelation, and we talked about all those promises, you know, I, and, I, and I hope for some of us, maybe there was one of us, maybe there was two of us who thought, man, I've never really heard it or thought or tried to envision God that way when I think about God as I'm praying. I just picture this cloud or, you know, this, 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 this light that just shines, but this was a real direct representation of a somewhat physical appearance of of, of this manifestation of, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and one, one that looked like the Son of Man. And we talked about the promises from that overcoming life. We discussed the fruit from the tree of life that you will get to eat. We discussed the crown of life, victory over the second death. Talked about manna hidden in heaven. Talked about a white stone with a new name. We talked about the promise of authority, authority over the nations. The same authority as the Son of God. Pause it right there. The same authority as the Son of God. Well, you ever have people come up and tell you they want prayer? You remember, you remember Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember when Jesus helped the uh, the man laying on the mat get up and walk? Well, you know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, those who believe in me are going to do the same works that I have done, even greater works, because I'm going to go to be with the Father. Well, guess where he is now? With the Father. So you could be doing even greater works than what he has done if you believe it. Gotta have that faith of a mustard seed. And sometimes I think we don't. Sometimes I think as human beings, we just that mustard seed, we're like, we're like, we're down on the ground with a microscope. We're like, I don't see any seed or any mustard at all, except on my shirt. Um you know, and, and here's the next promise: clothed in white. And when you're clothed in white, you don't want to see mustard on your shirt, right? Um how about this promise that you got? Their names will never be forgotten. Your name will never be forgotten. How about the fact that it talked about you were going to have a new name? A new name that was going to be unique to you. You know, uh, I, uh, I studied uh, um, astronomy. It's always weird to not try to say the word astrology. Astronomy. I studied astronomy and I learned a lot about our observable universe. And it said, I think that right now the count is that there's 200 to 500 billion galaxies. And within galaxies similar to the Milky Way, there's 200 to 500 billion stars. And around those stars are planets. And our scientists put names on all these, and every single one of those names is different. Now imagine all the people from the beginning of time since Adam up to now. Every single one of us is going to have a new name unique to you. Every single one of you. Now you might be (laughs) PX3247-9, but it will be unique to you. Okay? Here was another promise that you were going to be a pillar in the temple of God. These were all promises that were given to us in the Revelation. You are going to bear God's name. This was a promise. You are gonna be bear, you're going to bear God's name. Some of this stuff can be overwhelming. Like, wow, that's too much information. Is that for real? Is this really going to happen? Like, I can't, you just try to imagine it. You can't even imagine how a conversation is going to go with your boss next week. Try imagining all these things happening to you, right? How about you are going to gain citizenship in heaven? that was another promise given to you citizenship in heaven you're going to join Christ on his throne these were the promises we discussed last week i wrote here yet as christians sometimes we just we sense this overwhelming june gloom on our life and we can't focus on any of those promises we don't know how to focus on these promises we don't know how to count on these promises we don't and you know why cuz we don't feel worthy of any of it we don't we don't feel worthy I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I let myself down all the time. I let myself down all the time. I let that person down. We don't feel worthy of grace. Discount the fact, put that on the side about the fact that you just don't feel worthy about yourself. How about the fact that you know that you have been given grace by Christ and forgiveness of sin? You don't feel worthy of that at all. You already don't feel worthy within yourself, and you're struggling with this feeling of, do I feel worthy of grace? You believe it. You've been taught this as a child. You know that you were going to put your faith in Christ. You know that you're saved. But you you feel this overwhelming June gloom. We do this. I speak from personal experience. Most of the stuff I'm ever going to get up here and share with you guys is from personal experience of a long journey with Christ. And I like what we talked about last week where I brought up that little tidbit of, you know, what kind of Christian are we? Are we a 20-year Christian or are you a one-year Christian 20 times that you're just stumbling over this, I can't get past this belief that I'm, I'm saved and I'm, and I'm worthy and, and I can do so much more and I was created to do and be so much more. We don't feel worthy of service in the church. I can't help out with that. That's outside my gift. It's outside my pay grade. They want me to show up every week. The building's going to fall down if I come inside. (laughs) We all do that. I don't feel worthy of fellowshipping with other believers. How much do we do that? Hey, you want to go to church? You want to go to lunch after church? Oh, no, we're kind of busy. You don't feel worthy of hanging out with people. You're like, their family's really good. When they show up to church, they come in orderly fashion in a, in a single file line and their kids sit down and the, and the dirt under their nails is cleaned out and we're just not the same kind of people. I don't feel worthy to be in their presence. I can't have lunch with those people. We do a great job of beating ourselves up and making excuses for ourselves all the time. That's a good sign that you're not living in those promises. You're not focused on those promises and you're not trusting that those promises were designed for us. Anybody good at complaining? I'm great at complaining. I can be really great at it. Food isn't great. Not sure how to give. Can't pay my bills. How about that one? I don't know how to give in church. I don't even know how I'm going to pay my bills. Give in the church, your bills get paid. I can't believe that guy just came into my lane. Cut me off. Complain. I don't understand why this store won't open a fourth checker. They see us all standing right here. Walmart. They have no checkers anymore at Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> I'm not going to take my shopping cart back to the cart return. My back hurts. But you walked around the whole store with a shopping cart. You even went in the store. They didn't have one. You walked back out to a cart return, grabbed a shopping cart, walked the whole store, shopped, and then your laziness kicked in and you pushed the cart into somebody else's way where they couldn't park next to you later. But my back hurts. Complain, complain. I don't like my job. I don't make enough money. I don't like my boss. I want to quit my job. I don't like paying taxes. I don't like California. I want to leave. That's what we do, this negative, negative, negative energy that comes out of us sometimes, even as believers. This is real life. I'm the real life guy. I'm transparent guy. I struggled with all these areas. I'm always working on overcoming these obstacles because I'm not a one-year Christian 20 times. But these obstacles always show up in the path. And it's knowing how to be like, oh, been there, done this argument with myself before. Oh, I've already been down this road before. Not going to let myself get beat up and start back at the beginning. Along with always feeling beat up and guilty, we make excuses for ourselves. We have no gratitude for the thing that God provided in our lives. This attitude can make it very hard for you to have an overcoming life. This attitude is going to make it very, God for, very hard for God to be able to help you, bless you, and use you. And that's what we were designed for. We were designed for him to love us, have a relationship with us, be blessed by him, and to be used for his kingdom work. And if we're not believing these promises, and we're not, we're not having this attitude of gratitude, and we're not focused on what Jesus wants to do in our life, and we're beating ourselves up all the time, and we have excuses about everything, and we complain about everything in life, you're not able to be used. Not very well, not very good at all. So we're going to look at a few different people from the Bible who also had character defects that we can understand and identify with. Don't put the slide up yet, Mike, but I'm just going to throw the name out there. Adam, this is a good one. I'm going to start way back, way back. I'm going to go through people in the Bible because don't you read these people in the Bible? Let me give you a little backdrop of what direction I'm going. You read these stories in the Bible. You're like, Moses, wow got put in the basket, floated. For 40 years, he was in Egypt as a prince. And then for 40 more years, he was a shepherd in Midian. And then at 80 years old, he went up before Pharaoh and was used by God to have all these things happen, and God spoke to him in a bush. But this is in the Bible. That's Moses. I'm nothing like Moses. That's what you tell yourself. I don't equal out to Moses. God can't use me like Moses. That's what we tell ourselves. We're like, that's great, but my name's not going in the Bible. They're not going to write a new book later. Nothing's allowed to be added to the text. So I don't feel worthy that God's going to look at me or use me the same way. But we're going to talk about these same individuals that you're lifting up and thinking about these amazing lives they live, but we're going to talk about the fact that they... We're guilty, they didn't feel, they're going to have moments they didn't feel worthy. Trust me, because we're going to talk about some areas of their life, and you know if you're struggling with it, you don't feel worthy. Adam was a finger pointer. Bullet point number one. Adam was a finger pointer. What do I mean by that? He blamed Eve. Here's the best part of the story. How many times have we all read the story of Adam and Eve? everybody, multiple times, you picture the story that Eve wanders away, ends up at the tree of life, the tree of knowledge, and this slithering snake that's on its feet like a lizard that you watched in a cartoon, came up and discussed with her to eat this fruit, and then she did, and then she carried the fruit back to the man and gave it to him. Wrong. Read the story again. He was standing right there the whole time. If you read the story, Adam was standing there the entire time. Because after she ate it, she turned to give it to the man. It means he was standing there, doing nothing about this. Not saying anything, not chiming in. And when he got caught and in trouble for it, he was a finger pointer. He's like, no, it was her. He was a blamer. Stop blaming others. That was my bullet point A. we got to stop blaming others. Because this is what we do. We're like, I'm going to blame this person. Stop blaming others. This is what Adam did. This is where our creation started. This is where we all come from—from from this one person, this person where we all started from. He's a—he blames somebody. Else. He's a blamer, finger pointer. I called it. So stop blaming others and start owning your own part. Start owning your part. Genesis three eleven. Uh, and he said, "Who told you that you were naked?" Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. It was her. You were standing there the whole time. (laughs) It's your fault. It's your fault, God. You gave her to me. (laughs) It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Now, we look at that story, and we know all—we all know, recognize Adam's downfall in that story. We've all read it, but if you really just kind of really try to dig into that, Adam was a finger pointer. Not me. What's the behavior behind that? That's a character defect. How about number two? Don't put it up yet, Mike. Yeah, I'll go. It's fine. It's up. Abraham was a liar. Abraham was a liar, a liar, not a storyteller, a liar. And this is the guy that God was going to make the father of all nations. But wait, he was so much a liar that he lied pre-promise and post-promise. How about that? After God came to him and made this promise with him, I'm going to bear you a son through Sarah. Years went by, he didn't believe on God to even finish the promise. He gave up. And Sarah gave up on the promise and gave him uh, 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 her, her handmaiden, her household maid, Haggai. And then Ishmael was born. And God had to come back and say, no, Ishmael's not the promised son. Sarah's going to give you a son. But how, Chris, how can you call him a liar? Well, let's look at two different verses. Genesis 12. 11 through 3. Don't, you don't have to go there yet, Mike. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. Lie for me so that I'm okay. <laughs> Not lie for me so that you're Okay. Not lie for me so that we're okay. Lie for me so that I'm okay. Genesis 22. Now this was before he was given this promise. Genesis 20 verse 2. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. He's lied twice. How do you feel when you lie? Unworthy. Unworthy beating myself up, I don't feel worthy of God's grace. Hey, there was no uh, savior yet at this time to save you from your sins. They didn't even have sacrifices yet at the altar for atonement of sins. So how do you think this kind of guilt felt? This was probably literally the, don't smite me, God. You know, people were thinking about getting struck down. We all know what happened with Cain. You know, he took a lightning bolt to the face. This is real stuff. So the A and B there is stop living in fear because that's what Abraham's choice was made off of. Abraham lied because he was afraid. He knew he was righteous in God's sight. He knew that he was gonna be the father of many nations. He was given a promise from God directly. Has anybody in this room had God wake you up in the night and speak a promise to you and then later after you have that promise, you live in fear and you lie? Probably not. But it happened. This is the way the story went down. Stop living in fear and start living in the promises that we talked about last week. The promises of an overcoming life. Start living in the promises. This next story is really good. Another individual that I like to point out. Definitely things that would make you feel unworthy. Okay? So Jacob was a cheater. It's up. How was Jacob a cheater? Well, let's take a look at this. After Abraham had his son Isaac and his promise was fulfilled by God, Isaac had two sons. The Bible always says Jacob and Esau. The Bible always tells this and relates this as the story of Jacob and Esau. But Esau was born first, so it's Esau and Jacob were born to Isaac. Esau was the son in line to receive the blessing. This is the way it was back then. How do you think you would feel if you knew that God was going to bless somebody and you went and you cheated them out of God's blessing today? This is what Jacob did with the insightful help of his mother. Let's steal the blessing. And she sent him in to provide the game and, and they even, they were, they were so sneaky. Stop being sneaky. Remember they cut the, the wool off of a sheep and put it on his arm? This is some sneaky stuff. I'd like to reiterate this again. Now Jacob went on to become Israel. Jacob was later renamed Israel. And the sons, the 12 sons of, of Israel, of Jacob, they're actually not all 12 his son. Ten of them were, and I think two were sons of the sons. Jacob later went on and was renamed Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are Jacob and his descendants. Think he didn't feel worse? Do you think that he felt a little unworthy? He ran for his life after this move. He disappeared after stealing his brother's blessing because he knew it was wrong. Talk about waiting for God to smite you. I don't even know if Jacob had had, come on. Let's I like to be real. Look at let's really look in between the lines on the text here as Pastor Mark sometimes does it. It's not written anywhere. But Jacob is a probably a 20 to 40-year-old man at the time. His father's getting older, getting ready to pass on. His father is in communication with this God. His father Isaac, not Abraham, Isaac. And he's probably been praying to this God. We don't know if he's had any response to God, but what we do know is that he makes this move where he steals his brother's blessing from this almighty powerful God. Right? He steals the blessing. He's a cheater. He cheated his brother out of the blessing. Stop being sneaky and start having more integrity. What do you have to cheat for? These things will make you feel guilty. They will make you feel unworthy. You will feel unworthy of God's grace. These things do this to us. And remember what I always say, when you get Jesus living in your life and you're really focused on Jesus, you will sin less. Thank you. You will not become sinless, but you will sin less. Genesis twenty-seven eighteen through 20. He went into his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. And I'm a thief all at the same time. I'm a liar cheating a thief right now standing in your presence. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Please sit up. And eat some of my games, so that you may give me your blessing. There's an urgency in this. Hurry up, let's get this over with. Hurry up, let's get this over with. How did you find it so quickly, my son? Here's his lie. This is a great lie. The Lord your God gave me success. Whoa, now you're lying and even using God in your lie. Smite me, almighty smiter. That's kind of scary, right? This is pre-Jesus, pre-savior, pre-altars, pre-atonement for sin. Not only is he stealing the blessing, he's stealing the blessing. He's lying. He's cheating. He's stealing the blessing. And now he's using God in his lie. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Wow. is a big one. Think Jacob realized or felt that at any point in his life, God was going to use him in some great, powerful way to also become renamed Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? Do you think Jacob felt that, or do you think he felt the exact opposite? I think he felt the exact opposite. Something that we deal with. Here's a good one for you. Don't put it up yet, Mike. Checking. Mike's getting good in the back. We just talked about this guy. Forty years in Egypt as a prince. Forty years in Midian as a shepherd. Then 40 years as a leader as they wander in the desert. Moses. Moses was very, he had an anger problem, I'm pretty sure to say. Let's read between the lines, as Pastor Mark says it, it's not there, but let's look back. Let's go all the way back to, uh, he's a, uh, in Egypt. He sees a Hebrew being mistreated, and he kills an Egyptian, and buries the body to hide his sin. And then that's when he fled Egypt, okay, okay? Think he had a little bit of a temper there? Anybody else have timber? How about when he comes down off of the mountain and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf and he throws down the tablets. Wait, I got the verse here. And he took the calf the people had, it, had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the ground and made the Israelites drink it. He sent some fatherly anger there? This is not God's punishment. This is not God's discipline. This is my discipline. This is my mountain. This is my command from God. And you guys are making me look bad. (laughs) You can just feel it, and you can sense it in these stories when you really read it. Think he felt worthy to continue being uh, Israel's leader after that? I'll read the whole verse. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, His anger burned, and there, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Dad came in the house and saw that you had had a party over the weekend, and he took that lamp and threw it, and it shattered into pieces that Humpty Dumpty could never be put back together again. You think dad has an anger problem? Okay? Breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then, and then dad took the lamb and he melted it in the fireplace and told me I needed to drink it. <laughs> this is intense stuff. But this is, what, this, is, this is the passion in Moses' heart. One of my favorite in the Bible here. Don't put it up yet, Mike. <laughs> God gave this description to one person in the Bible. Now I'm going to give it away. He named this person a man after his own heart. And we are going through the series right now on David. Another story that i like to talk about. David was an adulterer. Do you think just because, let's read between the lines here. Do you think that just because there's one story in the Bible about David lusting after this woman that he saw bathing and that he took her and all those things happened, do you think that he didn't have a lustful eye at other times? It's questionable, right? Read between the lines here. This is how much his lust, this is how deep the lust was, that it finally led to, I'm going to go outside of the thoughts of this and I'm going to act on it. This is not something that happened when he was just 37. He woke up one day and said, for some reason, I can't stop looking at other women. That didn't happen. And we've read, and and Pastor Mark has just really brought this great story of going through the life of David where we really understand all these other areas that affected David Mentally and emotionally as a child and as a teenager and as a young man and the senses of rejection. And it carries out about where we found out about what a bad father he ended up being, right? David was an adulterer and he tried to cover his sin. Stop covering your sin. Remember what God said with him? That he was going to make it visible to everybody? Stop covering your sin and start repenting to God. I love this story that I'm going to read to you next because... uh, It's not a story. It's a portion of scripture here. Saul was king. But God removed Saul from his kingship. Do you know why? Well, Saul was going to war, and he was waiting for Samuel to come so that Samuel could pray and do an offering and prepare them for battle. And Saul became impatient, as many of us do. And Saul just went on ahead and did it anyways for himself. He said, we're not going to wait on Samuel. I'm going to do it. And when Samuel confronted him with it, his response, this is what's important. His heart's response was not the same as David's response of heart. This is why God can say, David is a man after my own heart. Let me read this real quick to you. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, so here's a prophet. He's coming up, and he's giving a fable, moral story, as Jesus did when Jesus told all the parables. This is a parable being presented to King David by Nathan the prophet. And trust me, you didn't go to the king and do things that would call him out. But Nathan did. The Lord sent. This is why it was okay. And this is why. Because the Lord sent Nathan to David. Not Nathan decided to go to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him he said. There were two men in a certain town. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, this rich man, instead of taking one of everything he had, Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David, I love it. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, burning anger, passion, read between the lines here. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah and if all this had been uh, and if all this had been done too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. All Uriah had was that one little wife that he loved. And the rich man David had it all wives, concubines, a kingdom. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, this, this is the response that separated David from Saul. This is the response that separates you and I from the world. This is the response. I have sinned against the Lord. This was not just a, I've sinned against the Lord. Let's read between the lines. There's probably some weeping and crying and emotion happening in this moment with Nathan the prophet I have sinned against the Lord Nathan replied the Lord has taken away your sin you are not going to die I'm in business so I don't like to use the word but the word but is used here so I'll put them both in there but however (laughs) but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord the son born to you will die no no sin without consequence. But David's heart was in the right place. Now, when this occurred, do you think David felt worthy to continue being king of Israel? Do you think David felt that he was going to make it to heaven one day? Oh, the Lord is no longer counting your sin against you. That's fantastic to hear that come from you, Nathan. But I'm just not feeling that today. Okay? How long do you think that emotion sat in his heart? That guilt, that shame that I've talked about so many times. You got to overcome these things. We got to grow past these things. You got to you got to put you just got to become that overcomer that yeah, I messed up. Let's keep going. All these men that messed up, they stepped past their miss their mess up and they kept going. They were a 30-year believer. 40-year believer and a 45-year sin that felt horrible, than a 50-year believer, not a 40-year believer, not a one-year believer 40 times. Guilt, that shame. They're not trusting the promises when these things are happening in their life. And I think we all have this happen. I think we all have days, weeks, months, seasons maybe years, where you're identified with some of these character defects and you're one bad decision away from beating yourself up for months and not feeling good about coming to church and not feeling good about fellowshipping with other believers and not feeling good about what God's doing in your life. Because you can't see all those things because you're beating yourself up with something that God is so ready to make you white as wool. He's already done the work on the cross He's already knew you were going to do what you were going to do before you doed it. <laughs> okay? He already knew, and he still had a plan for you. Here's a good one. Next guy, Jonah was disobedient. We're going to go through him quickly at this point now. I don't have too many uh, verses after this. Jonah was disobedient, and Jonah had a huge calling. Stop. Running from God. That's what Jonah tried to do. Boy, they really want me to get involved at the church, but that would require me to show up every Sunday and treat it like my job. Well, you do you go to your job Monday through Friday, you don't miss that, do you? Ever. Ever. You go to work sick. We don't want you to come to work sick. Or we don't want you to come to church sick and get everybody sick. But you go to work sick. You go to work when you don't feel good. Why would you treat something so much more important with less importance? Why do we do that? Why, where's our thinking the wires are wrong? I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because everybody that's here is here every week. <laughs> We're here every week. Whether you're here or you're online, you do this every week because you already know the importance that this carries, this kingdom purpose that you're living in your life. So, stop running from God and start answering his call. Here's a good one. This guy was the rock of the church, Peter. Peter also had a temper, a little bit like uh Moses, the angry thing. Remember when he lashed out his sword in the garden of Gethsemane and cut the dude's ear off? You're not taking my you're not taking my homie. <laughs> you're not taking my worship leader. He cut the ear off. I was uh, listening to, uh, i got a couple seconds here. I was listening to uh, Peter Scazzaro. He authored the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I talked to you guys about it. Great book. If you are interested, uh, let me know, and I'll point you in the right direction for that book. He talked about a point where um, his entire Spanish congregation left his church to go do their own thing. And he wasn't happy about it. He was angry about it. He was angry about the people that helped lead what he wanted to consider a revolt in the church. But they were doing their God kingdom purpose, which was they'd grown too much to be there anymore. And they needed somewhere else to go. Peter had a temper. How about this one? Are you a doubter? A doubter? A duder? Lack of faith? Thomas was a doubter. You ever doubt God and then feel guilty and feel shame and feel unworthy? Like, I don't know, God. I've been praying to you for 12 years. We've had lots of great conversations. I've built many altars in my life to remember things that you've rescued me from. But for some reason, for the last three months, I don't believe that you're who you say you are again. I've come full circle. Was it? uh, Stop it! Some of you at home and some of you who have been around this church a long time recognize the reference. I was honored to find out about it. Stop it. Stop questioning truth and start living in truth. You question truth. Stop it. Stop it. Here's a good one. David was also a murderer, but we're going to go with Paul was a murderer. You feel worthy of going out and preaching to people about Jesus Christ? When a few months ago you were finding Christians and killing them in the courtyards. Hmm. Okay, I'm done killing Christians. Now I'm going to be one and I'm going to go out and I'm going to basically become the author of most of the Bibles of the New Testament. Thank you, Lord, for letting me know I'm ready to go. It didn't go down that way. You remember we talked about Paul and I talked about that long journey. We're talking about years before Paul went out and started doing all these great things. Paul was a murderer. Anybody here kill anybody? I have friends that have. I have, I have personal friends that have. And uh, listening to them tell their story and to be set free from their shame and their guilt is quite an amazing thing to hear. Quite, quite an amazing thing to hear. And to see them doing what they do today for God's glory, you got shame? You got guilt? Not like that you don't. I could try to wrap my finger around that thought all day, but I've never done it, so I can never tell you, oh, I understand what you're going through. Oh, I understand what you feel. No, you don't. No, I don't. Oh, no, you don't. You know, uh, Last week we discussed all the promises of the overcoming life, and this week we discussed the overcoming life and these little drawbacks and these identifi- these identif- the, the identification of character defects that want to keep you from believing these promises. They wanna, they, they're like setbacks. Lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, murdering with your heart. I hate that guy. I wish a car would run him off the road. You ever said those kind of things? Can't believe that guy just cut me off. You ever say those kind of things? We need to repent like David did. I have sinned against the Lord. All those things that we discussed today are holding you back. The guilt and the shame of those things are holding you back from the overcoming life. If these things are bothering you, guilting you, or you're practicing them, they are holding you back from living an overcoming life. The difference between the David dynasty and the Saul dynasty was repentance and recognizing and being ready to make the change, make a difference. Do it different. Are you doing it different? Are you? Is there something that you're cheating on right now in life? Stop it. Because the guilt is going to never allow you to, There's, you know, you hit the ceiling. I can't, I don't feel good about going to church. I don't want to, I don't feel good. I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good to talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't feel good when somebody comes up and asks me about my faith. Why not? Stop it. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you lift up every person in this room, Lord, every person online. Every person who couldn't be here today, lift up our pastor Mark and Jill in Arizona, lift up their family to you, lift up Nicole who reached out to me, uh, reached out to us and let us know that she wasn't feeling great. We lift you up, Nicole. We want you to know that you're in our prayers. I lift up this community to you, Lord. I lift up this, this, this region to you, Lord, all the local churches, Lord. I lift up those who are struggling to understand you right now, Lord. I pray that you put into every single person's heart here today the overcoming spirit. The spirit of overcoming. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we may overcome. Who is it that is victorious in this world? Who is it that will be victorious in the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus, set, you set us free from all this shame and all this guilt and all these character defects, you've set us free from these things. Break our bondage, break our chains, help us feel set free, help us live set free, and help us focus on staying set free. I thank you for everything that you're going to do this week in the lives of those here, in Jesus' name, amen.